Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Modern Workplace Hacks podcast. My name's Tom Freer, and today I am joined by special guest Edwin Trevor Roberts. Edwin is the CEO of a career management and talent development company, Trevor Roberts, who for the past 25 years have supported organizations through transformational change as a result of industry reform and disruption. This podcast goes really deep into meaning at work, how people engage. There are some fantastic topics and information in this. We'd love to hear your feedback and and jump on to subscribe to our future podcasts. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Modern Workplace Hacks podcasts. Um, today, I am joined by special guest Edwin Trevor Roberts. Edwin is the CEO of a career management and talent development company, Trevor Roberts, and he has devoted his working life to understanding that critical intersection between individuals and their work. Hello, Edwin. Tom, good morning. How are you? I'm very well. It's lovely to be here. Mate, thank you. Thank you for coming on. This is um, a really interesting topic and I think very sort of timely with what's going on. Um, but firstly, just let us know a bit more about you, who you are, what you do and yeah, how you got yeah. to be where you are today. Sure. Thanks. And I think that um, that introduction sort of summarises. I think I'm just deeply interested in about this very nature of, of work and what it means in people's lives. We spend so many hours at work. Um, it's such a big part of, of what who we are and, and how we operate that it becomes, for me, we're looking for more for people to spend more time doing work that they enjoy rather than less. And so for the last... Last 20 years, I've had the privilege of working in the in the um, in the UK, um, over in Canada. My uh, doctoral research was on how people experience uncertainty in their career, and okay. uh, and little and little did I know when I started that that uh, it would be a topic that would become more topical. Normally, PhDs you sort of do it and they just sort of fade into insignificance, but this has become more more relevant as the years have gone by. Which well, is I think even this year it's uh, it's very topical, isn't it? Like uncertainty in career now is. I think that's on everyone's plate, everyone's mind. It, it is. It is indeed, and it's become. Um, I think it's. It, it's been. A, it's been a trend that's been happening for a while. It's now yeah. just come to the fore, and people just realise that this is. This is quite. It's quite an acceleration of that trend. And when you see an acceleration, it really stands out and starts to impact in 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 really deep and significant ways for people. So is that you said that's sort of been a trend for a while now? That uncertainty is that just nature of of the economy the business the world and then obviously COVID accelerated that but where's where's it sort of started well well it, interestingly uncertainty is 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 a big topic that we don't pay a lot of attention to so for example here for example when we look at societal cultures how do we differentiate between different countries uncertainty avoidance is one of the eight dimensions that separates different countries and so uncertainty avoidance is the, the degrees to which we want rules and regulations in place in our society. So in some countries, they're very, very high on, on the rules and regulations, other countries, not so much. And so even at the societal level, uncertainty is critical. And at the organizational level, um, uncertainty avoidance is really, well, why do we do strategy? We do strategy to supposedly try and avoid uncertainty. Yep. Why do we have managers in place? Why do we have leaders so we can kind of buffer the uncertainty of what's going on? Ah. And then all the way down, all the way down to the individual level of about how do I think about myself? And we as humans have this um, intense desire for certainty about who I, who I am as a person and to see a sense of continuity across time. So when we experience what's called self-uncertainty, 
we're driven to certain behaviors to try and solve that. And so with those at those different levels in mind, when it comes to the pandemic and what's just happened, is that all of a sudden these of all of these three things have come to the fore at once. People have really started to see that this is a, something that we need to think about. Yeah, that's um yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's uh, that's pretty deep. That's um and you're right, I think it is the everything happening at once now, isn't it? So we've got businesses that are very uncertain about what's going to happen, right. which then leads down that whole chain and, and particularly the individuals in those organizations now worried about where they fit into this, I guess, the new world as well and, and the new right. roles and the changes. So We've always had this notion of um, job insecurity. And, and what, what we have known is that when people feel insecure about their whole job, their way in which they behave inside an organization, they're not as productive, they're not as committed, they're not as motivated. So we've known that about when people feel insecure about their whole jobs. What research has also found is that the equal amount of negative um, outcomes is when people feel insecure about part of their job. So even okay. when they think that part of their role is going to change significantly, they feel the same sense of less commitment, less engaged, less productive. Um, and so this is all part. And now what we have is organizational uncertainty, viability. How yep. do we know even our organization is going to survive? So that just triggers all of these insecurities for us yeah. and makes us really start to clamp down and, and focus on, well, how do I survive this personally? Not how does the organization, because they might not be here. Yep. And that's that's that safety. People need to feel safe in their roles. Is that is that linked to uncertainty? Yeah, very much. Look, I, I think it's a very large part of it. I think when we look at what um, what triggers a um, you know a fight flight response, that sense of safety, that sense of security is a big part of that. What was interesting in my um, um, in in the research I did on uncertainty was that for some some people though, some people thrive on uncertainty. Oh, you know, okay. There, there right. are some people that just go, oh, I just I, if I do anything for too long, I just get bored. So I'll just they'll actually actively, I call them adventurers, right? They actively search for uncertainty um, in, in different things and then they thrive and they they really they really enjoy it. Um, I, I can't say a percentage of how many do that, but I think yeah. there are a smaller percentage than, <laughs> than the vast majority of people who, who, who are used to, and I think this is a really important about how work is changing. They're used to work providing a sense of security. Yeah. Um, and when we think about our own lives, there's usually in our personal lives, there is so much stuff just going on. There is stuff, there's change all the time. Family, kids, hobbies, dramas, there's this change going on all the time. So for many people coming to work where it's secure, it's like, oh, I can just breathe. I can just, I'm here, this feels safe. So when that starts to become insecure, it makes it doubly hard. And when that work becomes insecure and you're working from home, you're bringing that, that that previously that secure part of life into your own home with all of its own insecurities. And it's no wonder that we're struggling so much with um, with mental health issues and with challenges at the moment because it's this double whammy about it. Wow. Yeah. Don't, you don't think about that. Well, I certainly haven't thought about those things. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. um, it's a good good sort of segue that uncertainty because it ties into what 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 I've been talking about for a while um, is really around the technology and how that's impacting people, um, and that drives a level of uncertainty when people start hearing about artificial intelligence and bots and and the robots taking over. So I think that in itself is probably that that transition we've seen over the last few years and that adoption now that's happening. I think quicker than anyone sort of thought um, to start driving more efficiency within bus in business. And 
And I'd like to get your insights on that and how you see that rapid evolution of technology impacting on people's careers and obviously their, their I guess, that level of uncertainty they have in what they're going to do next or what the business is going to do next in their role. It's it's a great topic, and I think this is, again, one of those trends that's been going on for a few years. I think 2019 was the year of the future of work reports. I think there was every month there was yet another new future of work report coming out and yet another report that said robots are going to take over all of our jobs, humans beware. Um, and it was and, 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 and it was completely over-exaggerated. Um, same as when the printing press was created or the railway was created. We all thought, oh, we're going to lose all of these jobs. The reality is, yes, a, a significant chunk of jobs will change and they'll be um, altered or replaced by a whole bunch of other, other work and other jobs. So it's not that we're ever going to not have work for people. Jobs will just start to look differently. So, um, and, and the line I often use with this is, you know, not, not rebelling against the robots, but learning to tango with technology. Right, yeah, okay, I like that. It, it's really about embracing what does the technology mean for us and becoming um, part of it. And, and, and this is about the realisation about what skills do we need. Mm. Um, and... It's about both the the technical skills, so learning those technical skills, but also learning what we now call the human skills. We used to call them um. Which, do you remember we used to call them um soft skills and hard skills? Yeah, soft skills. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember yeah. soft skills? Yeah, yeah. It was a, yep. it was it was a stupid term because what's harder to learn? Soft skills. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's completely around the way. So we call them human skills now. These are those ways in which how do I interact with others, deal with others, and and what we now realise is that these are what we need for the future: the ability to collaborate, to be creative, to be innovative, to be able to work across multiple um, cultures. These are the human skills that we need for the future. And yet, and I, and I, you know, for all for all the listeners on the podcast, if you're a, you know, CEO or have a budget on training, where do you spend your budget? And the vast majority of organisations, ninety percent plus of their budget is spent on technical skills. Yep, I'm, I'm not, thinking about my business, and yep, yep, yep. not on those skills that are really going to set us up for the future. Yeah. So there is still this. Even though we talk about how important these are, there's not a realisation that we need to invest the time and energy to build people's creativity, innovation and collaboration skills. And how, and how they engage. Because I, I think that's ultimately, people still like dealing with people. Uh, that's, that's kind of my, my sort Correct. of thing. As much as you want to automate process and put, like you ring Telstra and you've got to talk to the, the bot on the phone and, and things like that. I think ultimately, though, if you could talk to a person and get that, sense of um, empathy and the emotion and whatever it is through that Spot conversation, on. it makes that process easier for both parties. Yeah, it does. Um, it does. Yeah. And I think one of the key words there you had around empathy is one of the key skills, which is that human to human connection yep. that's really there. But but the but this this evolution and the use of technology in roles, I think what we need amongst all of our team is that ability to um, is to be quite literate with the technology yeah. to learn how to use it. I'll give an example. We worked with one um, uh, mining equipment manufacturer, um, and they've had a, a long-term, fifteen-year time horizon strategy around creating a um, a digital organisation. And one of their pillars was around creating a digital culture. And we were workshopping this with a group of people from around the world, and we were workshopping it around what does a digital culture kind of look like. And we were talking about things like this creativity and innovation. And then just through the course of this, someone just said this epiphany, and it changed the course and, in fact, the focus of the whole strategy. And they said, really, the people that are already acting exactly like this are those people who are early adopters of technology. So you think about an early adopter. An early adopter is someone who will just – 
grab the piece of tech and start experimenting with it. Mm. Um, they will also not be, um, they'll not break down into the fetal position when it doesn't work properly. <laughs> they will, they'll, 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 they'll problem solve it. They'll be, oh, okay, that didn't work. Oh, I'll just try around this way. I'll try this. And they just, they experiment with it. They test it. They're, they're comfortable with the ambiguity that comes with a piece of tech that's not yep. quite perfect. Now, imagine if your whole workforce was like that. Imagine if your whole workforce was comfortable with the experimentation and the and and the realization that we, the systems aren't perfect. They never are. They never will be. It's mm. a it's a pipe dream we should never try and chase. But they were willing to embrace it, experiment with it, test it, solve it, improve it. And so what we came up with then was a process whereby we were trying to create thousands of staff, everyone in this organization, to be early adopters of technology, to have that mindset and to have that practical skill to be able to do that. And is that a mindset of not being fearful of it? I think as well. It's it's. In, you, I think you mentioned embracing the technology more than anything. You don't have to know necessarily the the ins and outs and the the ones and zeros, but you want to know the con concepts, the process, how it can actually better your role. I think is the key thing because ultimately, I see you want to use technology to make your role more efficient, make it better, so you can you can do more of the human things. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And if we if we take those concepts, what you've described and, and, and lift it up to its highest level, you're talking about um, people who have that agility, that flexibility, that adaptability. Use your buzzword, right? Pick a buzzword. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah. but, but it, it, it's that it's, it's that ability to respond to, to adapt and to change. And technology is probably the best place to practice it. Yep. We just don't realize it. Like what a yeah. great place to practice learning something new and learning how to learn, learning new skills. This is really what's critical. And so when we talk about careers these days, do you remember, um, um, Tom, they used to talk about uh, T-shaped careers about no, two yeah, decades. Okay. Let's talk about T-shaped careers. And so the, um, the, it's either in your career, you either became a generalist, which is the top of the T, or you became a specialist, which is like the, the arm down the yep, middle. Okay, of the yep, yep. And they sort of said it was two sorts of careers. You become a generalist or a specialist. Um, and the reality is when I was asked recently, you know, should, is it best to become a generalist or a specialist? And I said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, because it, it's, it's a moot point. It, it's not actually how it works anymore. So rather than talking about T-shaped careers, what I like to talk about is they're more like M-shaped careers and a small M. Okay, and a small M. So when you think about a small M, there's, there's, there's three arms pointing down. So we need to have some content expertise, some content knowledge, but it needs to be more than one. Because if we just have one, the likelihood of that changing in the next 4.7 years is very high. <laughs> you know, there's this the half-life yep. of a degree is, you know, th three years. You know, you, we have to keep learning. So you need to have multiple mini specialities, if you like. And the M, why I like the letter, because you think about the top of an M, it's an arc. It's a flowing kind of a, that's those human skills, the ability to move across those various specialty domains, depending on the opportunity and depending on the context. So therefore, if we think about our career as both building those human skills along the top of the M and some content along the bottom, we're then more likely to be flexible, responsive and adaptable depending on what comes our way. And that's, I think, the key. And we're seeing that now. Um, we have to be and everyone has to be flexible and adaptable um, to to get through where we're at. But I think, yeah, that's that's I really heard, interesting. Here's, yeah, here's something funny for you. I heard someone the other day talking not about just about flexibility and agility. They talked about flexibility. 
Flexagility, right? Great, great. So we're just combining two words together yeah, into one to make it sound more serious. That's yeah, so that's how buzzwords appear, right? Yeah, it's almost <laughs> as good as the IT acronyms where we just make stuff up, three-letter acronyms. Right. So, 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 which which leads on probably just to uh, another challenge that we have. So if we talk about like these M-shaped careers, we're talking about mm. flexibility for individuals. It, it all makes sense to us. But as businesses, how do we structure work? Well, that's, yeah, that was something like, how do you then define what a role is or a job is for that individual if we're sort of, pro, well, we identify that we want them to be flexible and, and have multiple content streams and things like that. How do you start defining work roles, I guess? Yep. There you go. And I think you're hitting an nail right on the head there because we still rely on this notion called a job description. Mm. I think one of those, one of the most outdated concepts we have to um, slowly wean ourselves off, and I'm going to be a bit provocative here, is we need to wean ourselves off the notion of a job. Okay. A job is this artificial construct of a sequence of tasks, a series of tasks and activities that require to be done. Think about a job description, okay? And it says, mm. you know, there's usually like six bullet points, all right? What's the sixth bullet point on just about every job description? It's Words to the effect of and any other ancillary <laughs> items or matters, yeah. right? Anything deemed spend... appropriate, yeah. There you go. Anything <laughs> deemed appropriate. Where do we spend 90% of our time? Yeah. On that bullet point, not on yep. all those other things. So yep. we're still yep. hanging on to this outdated notion of a job and putting work into this into this construct, into this um, container. But the reality is that's actually not what we need. So we need to think about jobs differently. We need to more think about them as what is the purpose of this role? What is the purpose I'm here? What are those skills that I'll need across the top of the M to be successful in this and the content skills? But then who am I doing it with? What are the core outcomes? Not the, necessarily just the ROIs or the deep measures, but what are the end outcomes I'm trying to achieve here? And yep. who will I be working with to able to achieve it? So if we hold it more role as in an outcome focused, it's less about that job and the bureaucracy and the hierarchy that sits around it and more about how do we go about it? How do you get the outcome we're looking for? So we're hiring a person to, essentially you're hiring a person to deliver an outcome. So you want to be clear on what the outcome is, how they get to that outcome, probably exactly. not as relevant. Exactly. Exactly. And they can they can use that M shaped skill set to yep. to deliver it. Yeah, okay. I'll, and how, on some level, I'll, I'll give the example of yeah. you know some of your your team that um that provides you know managed services support. Their outcome is solve the client's issue, mm. right? How they go about that, who they need to bring together to solve that. You don't need to know that. They're much better placed to figure that out than you are as, as the owner of the business because yep. they're there. They know who the skill sets are amongst the team. They will go to the right people and they'll just get it solved. So it's, it's putting it, it's trust, it's trusting your people as well. So, Correct. which is Correct. where I think a lot of those job descriptions come from, don't they? It's, well, if I can bullet point everything that I expect this person to do, then if I'm, if, if anything goes wrong, I can revert back to that and go, well, you didn't do that. That's right. And yeah. it comes from that, um, that hierarchical model, which is that in the, the industrial revolution model of work um, and the command and control military structure. Yep. The reason we have layers up organizations is because in the old days we didn't have communication. So the, the manager would have to, or the supervisor would have to get all the information from the 10 people below them and they would filter it up and would move it all the way up to the top of the chain. Then they'd have all the information, they'd make decisions and filter it all back, filter down. All back down. But in today's yep. world, I can find out the information by just sending an IM across to the other person who's sitting in Chicago. I can get it mm. straight away. Why do I need to go up and down this chain? We can just That's solve true. it out ourselves. We can so allow that. that. And 
that's the shift. You've got to allow your people to to do that. And yeah, okay, that's interesting. So how do people? How do how do we then start transitioning? Like it's obviously a transition period to get from where we are today in that traditional job role, job description, and transitioning over to giving people, I guess, giving your team flexibility in their role to deliver an outcome. That's got to be strategically led by the organisation. Yeah. Yeah. And um, let me be deeply practical here. Um, I'd love to have a pinch of fairy dust and go into an organisation, just go suddenly, you know, here's the change, off you go. Tomorrow we're going to wake up and it's going to be all, it's, it's going to be all different. It's going to operate, you know, uniquely. That won't happen because there are ingrained um, systems, there are ingrained processes, there are deeply ingrained egos um, for mm. leaders in certain roles that their importance is based on their on the role and the fact they have people reporting to them. So we can't, oh, you, it's very, very difficult without completely ripping the organization apart and rebuilding it to go and suddenly change. So the best way to do that is, and you know, I'll take the lead from, um, 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 you know, from our, our engineering colleagues who really started and some of the, um, the, the IT colleagues is around using um, rapid prototyping. So using some design thinking processes in essence to say, let's go try some experimentation. Let's go try structuring this particular work group rather than doing it the old way we used to. Let's just, for this next project, let's try doing it this way. See what happens. And if you start then to build this experimentation, you find that um, individuals feel suddenly empowered that they can do this rather than going to be shut down by the executives as they were in the past. They experiment, they test it, it works, they get an outcome, and then it starts to roll through. Yeah. So... I would be suggesting you take something small, you give it a spark, and you give it some space, and you give it the resources, and then you see what happens from that. That is probably the best way for this to happen. And, and it's about, is it, it's essentially giving them that autonomy just to, to deliver the outcome, regard like, is that, is that where you yes. sort of go? Let's, yep. let's give them a, here's the outcome we're trying to achieve for this particular project. Here's your team, off you go. That's we're giving right. you. We're not giving you a structure, so to speak. And what's really interesting about that is, um, for the vast majority of us, that's quite uncomfortable. Well, yeah, because people love structure. They do. Well, because it, because in that job description, they think they remember? like structure. Do they? <laughs> they think they like structure. They're used to structure. We're used to work being that thing that says, "This is what I'm going to come in and do." I'm working with a with an organisation at the moment with a group of middle managers who have been said uh, who have been tasked with the future of work is changing. What does it mean for our organization in a post-COVID world? This is probably one of the most ambiguous projects that you could do, do with yep. them. And so over the course of a series of team coaching um, conversations with them, the biggest thing they've had to struggle with is, A, this is incredibly ambiguous. We don't quite know where it's going to go. And B, oh, we've been given permission to think widely and potentially radically alter how this organization yeah. works. Yeah. It's scary, right? It's scary for them. Um, and it's scary for the executives as well. Who well, that brings up the the whole where we started in that people have traditionally come to work for that safety and that structure. I guess now we're we're sort of looking at well, we can provide safety, but it's not going to be so structured. You can do how you need to do. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. And um, you know, and 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 ripping that bandaid off too fast, too hard. Some people just simply won't cope with. Yeah. Um, because what the pandemic's done is really made us rethink about the whole. Where is where does work fit into my life? Yep, that that re, the 
I've heard a lot of about, and I'm even myself, that work-life balance because I'm now at home and how am I balancing that? But do I need to be as busy or do I need to be doing things in a certain way because I've now done it a different way and it, it still works? Yep. So it's Absolutely. confusing. It's really confusing. And do you have that guilt? You know, you, it's like five, yeah. 10 to 5 and think, oh, I'll just go and um, knock off a bit early. Think, oh, God, I can't do that. <laughs> it's, it's, I think through the through the through the guts of it the whole thing i found myself getting to five o'clock and going actually i'm still here i'm just going to keep going I've, I've got stuff that i can do in in fairness i caught up with a hell of a lot of stuff and I, I got on top of things but you're right it's um i think people are struggling with that the realization that there is the ability to have balance that's right that's right and we're slowly ever so slowly and this is so incredibly exciting we're slowly moving away from work being time Work yeah. is not time, and um, and I, st- I must admit, I still struggle with ten to five. I'm gonna knock off early. God, can I? You know, it's this well, Protestant yeah. work ethic. You know, <laughs> you know, of course you can. You know, <laughs> see, I can do what I want. You know, but you still but, feel that. Um, that is that is right. I mean, it's it's looking at work is outcome is output, not so much the time you spend on that output. It's more about the quality of it rather than the time invested in it is that is that what we're saying i think that is i think always work has been seen as what we can measure is inputs and we measure time because it's easy Mm. measuring outputs is much more outcomes sorry is much more difficult to try and measure what that is and it requires the leaders to as you said before have that trust to say here is the outcome go for it let me know how it goes now the one thing when this happens the, the, the price of the freedom to pursue an outcome and not being told exactly what to do, the price is the responsibility for achieving it. Yeah. So this is yep. where accountability kicks in. I'll give you freedom, but, you know, you need to deliver on this. You're, you're individually accountable to you make this to happen. And, you need to go and make sure that happens. Yeah, that's, that's the a, um, yeah. so it's, it's, it's the output within a time frame because you've obviously i mean we've all got constraints and targets and and budgets to deliver well not i mean we've got budgets to deliver things so time still comes into it but it's not constraining them by time i guess it's that's right yeah it's not being constrained by and also we think about work we think about the meaning we get from our work and often a lot of the meaning is coming into the office being around people might not actually like the work we do, but we enjoy the people we're around. So we get a sense of meaning from that. And so now when that's taken away, we're at home yes. and we're doing everything yeah. virtually. Yeah, it's kind of still there, but it's not not quite the same. It's not quite the same when you've got a piece of glass between you and you and the other person. So this whole pandemic has really excelled. Now, there's been a trend going on for the last decade around meaning at work about yep. people wanting something more than what's been provided in the past. And the pandemic has just accelerated that, really realising that what I want is not just the meaning um, the meaning at work, you know, from the people I deal with, not just the meaning in work from the tasks and activities I do, but the meaning through work. So how does work help me provide a sense of meaning in my life in its broader sense? Yeah, and I, okay. think, I think if you think about um, um, what is the – this is going going big here. If you think about mm-hmm. what, what's the, what's the purpose of life now, one example, and just let's just use this as a as a, as, a, as a, a hypothesis here. One example, the purpose of life is to fully mature as a human being, to be the best version of yourself possible. There you go. There yeah. you go. Pick 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 whichever sentence resonates for you. And in doing so, we need to grow. But the only way to grow is to have experiences, and only way to have experiences is to have the good and the tough 
experiences. This is what Martin Seligman, who's a founder of Positive Psychology, he talks about a meaningful life versus a pleasant life. Right. So a okay. pleasant life, a pleasant life is, um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you an example about, um, about a year ago, I, um, uh, I decided that I would do for the, I do my longest ever, I like mountain biking and I do my longest ever off-road mountain bike ride. And it was a, it was a hundred kilometers um, race on, on a rail trail. And I thought hundred kilometers. Yeah, it sounds hard. I could probably do it. Got to the 50 kilometer mark. Yep. Not a problem. All, um, that's all easy. You know, fixed a spare, a, a blown tire. I got a muffin, got a Gatorade, came around the next corner, started riding, came around the next one. And there we hit the, um, there's this mountain range and there was a next 20 kilometers. So one hour was uphill at a 10 degree angle. That doesn't sound a lot, but it was 10 degrees and it was just consistent on. And I was halfway up this thing. My legs were burning i was struggling i put my head down and i went practice what you preach edwin i said this this is not pleasant but i'm sure when i get to the end it's going to be meaningful right and i got to the end i went oh my god i just did that at some like way faster than i thought i was like so happy that i could actually go something that far it was meaningful it was meaningful meaningful. and we do these things in our personal lives that are difficult and challenging because they're rewarding and by by setting ourselves a goal we get over the obstacles and we get a sense of meaning from it and yet and yet when we get to work, what happens? We just want it to be pleasant. We just want it to be easy. We just expect things to be cruisy. And yeah. so when something tough and hard happens, we go up in arms and we complain and we go, how dare this be hard? How dare this be difficult? But hang on a second, this is life. This is just how it works. So work is one of those incredible places, is the most incredible places for us to learn how to grow, to mature, to have these experiences. It's And if you're a leader, it's a crash course in maturity. Oh, yeah. Right? Because yeah. you're dealing with <laughs> stuff, let's just use that word, that you never thought in a million years you'd have to deal with. And that's just before morning tea. You know, yeah. it's this real crash course in it. So, so the meaning comes from this work. So how, I mean, okay, so this is, this is really interesting because, as you said, people come to work and expect it or have this, I guess, expectation or this want for it to be pleasant. So they're not going to get meaning from that just being pleasant and they'll get bored, distracted. Anything that becomes hard becomes an argument. So how do we, as leaders then, I guess, is encourage that that adoption of meaning in your work then? Because, mm. and give, I mean, it comes down to the individual at the end of the day, whether they want to take that on, that accountability, that responsibility. But how do we start to, I suppose, grow that? And again, it's not going to be a rip the bandaid off, let's go approach. It's how do we start to incorporate those sort of things? I, th- I think you ask a really good question there. It's around what is the role of a leader? Mm. So if we're saying no longer do we need to, no longer should work, should the leader's role be about directly coordinating, telling people what to do, but helping them and supporting them to achieve the end outcome, then the role of the leader becomes to help the person realise what it is they're learning through the process of their work. So in other words, provide them with perspective help them to be reflective about what's going on, help them to understand what's happening, help them to come up with different possibilities for dealing with it, and then making them connect that to the bigger purpose of why we're here. So it's helping that individual find what is meaning for them in the work in, that they're in doing. The workplace. Yeah, yeah. And how does and the, the bigger purpose being the, the mission or the vision of the business, I guess, and how that drives through. So they've got to be bought into that, how that helps them grow and develop and get meaning from 
that outcome to help deliver. Yeah, okay. It's it's, it's really neat wow. when you can get that alignment between the organisational purpose and the individual's um, purpose. That's that's really neat if you can get that. Well, that's the hard happen, part, isn't it? But that's really there. That, that, that happens a bit kind of by accident, but um, it is really <laughs> good. Because there are different sources of meaning um, that yeah. we get through, get through work. Um, and and one of these, what we're sort of talking about here is, is we we get a sense of meaning from ourself. Now, let me explain that. When I say self, when our values, for example, are aligned, our personal values are aligned yep. with what the organization is doing, we derive a sense of meaning from that. So if you're, if you're, if you as an individual um, like helping others and your work allows you to help others, you know, that values alignment's there, then you, yep. then it's work. So it aligns with that purpose. Um, so that is one of the four sources of meaning that we have in our life is that, is that self. And if we can connect with that organizational purpose um, along with that, that's a really important source of meaning. Yep. Yep. Wow. That's it. Um, yeah. So I guess that, that <clears throat> excuse me, comes back to, yeah, finding that meaning in work. And now that we're working at home as well in, in this remote thing, it's, it's how do you not blur the lines then? Or is that irrelevant, an irrelevant sort of position? We are going to have to blur what it means to be at home versus what it means to me to be at work. I, th I, th I think that's, that slash between work and life has to go. Has to go. I, I, yep. I, I think it's I think it's about life and and the role that work plays in that. In now life. that's yep. right. Now for some <clears throat> people, work as in terms of life domains, work is huge. For <laughs> some people, work is everything. This is this is kind of why I exist is because of work, um, and they've found this working from home slightly challenging because it's not quite. Well, I'm not in that context of where that work is. For others, I go to work so that it's just a means to an end, and that's and that's okay. That's absolutely fine. Um, and so for them, it's a smaller part of how they fit in, into um, into their into their life and where that work sits. Um, so I think I think there's two steps here: one, understanding the different sources of meaning, um, and secondly, putting in place practical habits to experience experience that meaning. So if I just rattle off on on the other the other three sources of meaning. So the first is mm. self we've spoken about. Um, the other one, the, the next one is the situation, the work situation itself. We experience um, intrinsic motivation. There's 40 years of research on intrinsic motivation, and it says to have to be intrinsically motivated about something, we must have the autonomy to do the work. We must have the competence or the skills to do yep. the work. And we've got to do it with others as well is the third is the third bit. But those first two, the autonomy and the skills, you know, when you when you do a really awesome spreadsheet and you get to the end and it balances and you just go, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's a, it's a great feeling, right? Now yeah. I'm, I'm not I'm not the best numbers person in the world, but I really like it when that spreadsheet balances, right? Um so so that's a feeling that you sort of get. So because you've got the autonomy and I'm using a skill. So if we can structure our work, which goes back to our earlier conversation yeah. around job descriptions, role descriptions, people get a real sense of meaning from that type of work that gives them the space and the ability to use their skills. So here's here's an interesting one. We often have career or development conversations with our staff and we get and it's really awkward because we say to the person, where do you want to be in five years? Mm. They say, I don't know. And they go, okay, well go away and think about it. Or is there a course you want to do? Yeah, okay, I'll go away and I'll do this course. Now, so what we do is we we send someone off on a course. They come back and they're they're enthused. They're excited. They've learned something new. But then they can't use that skill because our systems and processes don't allow it. So here they have competence they can't use. We think we've sent them off to be motivated. They come back and they become demotivated, demotivated. because they can't use it. And so no what autonomy. do they go? Yep. Yeah, they go, well, I've got this skill. I want to use it. I can't use it here. So I'm going to look elsewhere. And so we train up our staff to leave. Wow. 
didn't think about it that way, but yeah, that's so it's yeah, it's <clears throat> okay. The autonomy and the competency that's they're the, they're the key things you want to give an individual. That's correct, and they will get meaning from the work itself. So that's that it allows them to get the meaning just correct. by having those two things, absolutely. absolutely. So, so as a leader, it's about defining the outcome that needs to be achieved, giving yep. the giving your team the autonomy and the skills to deliver that outcome, and then guiding them through the process. Yeah, correct. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And making them realise they're they're doing this in, in the first place. So that's that's the yeah. second source of meaning. The third the third source of meaning is a sense of service. So when we talk about um, that relatedness piece, it's about helping. It's actually about helping others. When we do our work to help others, then we feel this deep sense of 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 warmth of inner glow, if you like. There's a there's a lovely um there's a 13th century um um. Uh, Indian uh, prince whose name was Shantideva and he said um, all the joy in the world comes from wanting others to be happy and all the suffering in the world comes from wanting ourselves to be happy mm. and really what he's saying is that when we help others in this sense of service whatever that means to you sense of service we get a sense of meaning from that Yep. Now that could be helping clients, it could be helping customers, it could be helping your colleague that's sitting next to you, um, it could be helping your suppliers, it could be feel like you're helping the world in general, but it's that sense of service that comes from our work. Wow. Okay. So that's the third one. That's, the final that's the third and, one and the fourth and I'll say, one. I'll say the fourth one just to wrap it up. So we yep. talked about um, self, situation, service. The fourth one, luckily it's an S as well, um, <laughs> is, is is spirituality. It's that sense when we have it when when we have work where we feel like that we're connecting to a greater purpose, to a greater meaning, whatever that might be. Now um, that also might manifest in like a sense of calling, and there are certainly you think of obvious professions that there is a sense of calling. You know, clergy, for example, or going into um, into um, some sort of religious order have a sense of calling. Um, that's a double-edged sword because by feeling like something is a calling you put up with more grief than you would otherwise would otherwise yeah because yep. you just go for that but when we feel that there is some higher purpose some greater energy some greater thing that we're trying to connect to and our work allows us in some way could be saving the environment could be whatever then we find a sense of meaning from it so that's the fourth one of spirituality and people have been naturally gravitated to those those things anyway. So whether it's inside an organisation or if they're not getting that spirituality from that, they're gonna they're gonna go elsewhere unless you can provide it. Yeah, or at least um allow them again that space to be able to experience that. Experience um, that. Within, I'm, I'm, yep. not, I'm not saying we all need to be you know you know say a prayer at the beginning of our team meetings mm. every week. You know, some places they do, and it's wonderful. But you know, in other, it's not about that. It's about realizing there is something more than just you know, just yourself with the 80 odd yeah. years we have for this life. There is something. Yeah, bigger yeah. Something bigger. Something yeah. That's, yeah. That helps. That's another, that's a whole nother conversation. There's something bigger. <laughs> I think that's a whole other series of podcasts. <laughs> <That's something bigger. laughs> Edwin, this has been fantastic. There's been so much good stuff in here. Um, is there, so how can our listeners find you um, and LinkedIn, Twitter, wherever you are? Yep. So LinkedIn's a great place for it. Um, that is, uh, so feel free to come and follow me. We post regularly. Also on our website, which is trevor-roberts.com.au. I'm sure you'll put a link up on this. Um, we have a we have a, a research insights blog, and we're currently in the middle of a, a series on meaningful work. Yes, yeah, so I was going to say that. I've yeah, been reading that one. Speaking five questions that we need to answer. So a lot of the stuff I'm talking about here, we've, we've written about, and there are a yep. couple of short videos as well. 
No, we'll definitely post a link to that that um, meaningful work blog. That's been really insightful. Edwin, thank you very much for your time. This has been an absolute pleasure. There's been so many um, aha moments through this one. Um, so thank you. Most welcome. It's been a delight speaking with you, Tom. Thank you for listening to the Modern Workplace Hacks podcast. Hope you got some value. We'd really love for you to subscribe to the podcast or follow us on YouTube and LinkedIn. Look forward to bringing you some more episodes soon.